Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamflet to discuss everything that went down on last night's show. But before we get into it, if you are a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we preview and review AEW Dynamite, Collision, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2.0, pay-per-views, premium live events, we have wrestler interviews on rare occasion, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, not this week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Now, obviously, AEW, the road to All Out, over delivered. What <laughs> do you think of ROH All Out? <laughs> oh, uh, I was baffled by this. This uh, is a bad was, episode of Dynamite. It was a five ups and five downs episode of Dynamite where some of it was bad. That sounds like it'd feature, like, make. Good for a really good article, Sitch. Yes, and in fact, I've written one with that what? exact title, what? which you can find. It's a Where? transcript of this podcast, but you can find it on whatculture.com slash WWE. Yeah, another five ups and five downs, some good, some bad. But to like go through every individual segment and try and tally it up, uh, you're missing the, the wood for the trees there because the ultimate objective of this show, at the best of times, was to juice up the all-out card, sell you on the existing matches, maybe add some more treats. This was especially pertinent when CM Punk is suspended yeah. and all but certain to miss the card. We talked yesterday about the need, capital N, to deliver some just dreamlike, one or two dreamlike, all oh, right, okay, they've realized that, you know, backstage is in disarray yet again, We've had to take off the biggest draw of the show, particularly in Chicago. Let's over-deliver and give the fans something really to crow about. Samoa Joe versus Shane Taylor. What? Mm. I, I don't know. Like, you know, for years and years and years and years, and actually even this year, um, it was just this accepted thing. Uh, amongst many things that were just accepted by the fan base that someone like you would have raged against and what have you said... This is why AEW needs to exist, because look at the pass that WWE gets. You know that post-WrestleMania like downturn that everybody just normalised, myself included? And the post-SummerSlam one. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you know, like, oh, we're backlash, whatever. Like, well, there's like three months that don't count because we had WrestleMania, we've had our nice time, and it's all, it's okay for WWE, the weekly show, to go crap for three. It's It was never okay. Yeah. But this was this, this like accepted norm. Like, like the five-day working week. Yeah. As much as I love it. <laughs> I do sometimes, actually. Wilborn will get it one day. But, like, yeah, the, the things that shouldn't exist but do, ultimately, was this sort of just accepted reality of, well, you know, eggs went in the WrestleMania basket, so here we are now. Like, Wembley and this historic crowd, and, you know, we've talked about 
the difference in what Wembley's attendance is versus AEW's soft domestic turnouts at the moment. So, you know, those two, let's not pretend that this is like a hot product worldwide. They've had an amazing night at Wembley and there's significant issues to address creatively and commercially at home. It doesn't really feel like WrestleMania creates the, um, like, aesthetic of, like, straight to the moon, the biggest thing in the world, momentum, like, sort of all of these things that wrestling companies swear they have all the time, even though we know they don't. I don't really feel like AEW's got that at the moment. I don't feel like... They're trying to spin it like they have. Yeah, it didn't uh, didn't roll in to Wembley Stadium on this, like, exhilarating rush that you used to describe you would feel the week of an AEW pay-per-view. Please get me there, please get me there, please get me there. Imagine they did it in 2021. (laughs) I know, man. And then it's happened now, and we've all... A minimum of 81,000, and plenty that probably watched at home are left with the treasured memories, and the wrestlers especially, are left with the treasured memories of a frankly, like, incredible night and an incredible event. And this dynamite almost made it feel like Wembley didn't happen. The the, the whiplash effect was too powerful. The, like, we were talking about this, weren't we, while we were down there. Like, Raw didn't get out of the Manhattan Centre and high school gyms till 1997. Yeah. Having launched, what, six months after SummerSlam 1992? Is history repeating in that regard? This doesn't feel like a hot product. This doesn't feel like Wembley happened. It just feels like there was a pay-per-view on Sunday and there was another one coming this Sunday and a company has proven itself ill-equipped to deal with the situation it created for itself. WWE did it once, and even that was flawed, but they did it once, and why did they do it when we reflect back? Why did they do it? It's because the new Roman Reigns was coming back on Sunday and they wanted to strap him up seven days later. As soon as it happened, you're like, oh, that's why they've done it. Yeah. They want a seven-day turnaround to get the belt back on Roman as soon as possible. There was no other rationale. And even then, it was kind of dumb. And AEW have done it, and it has failed. It's just a cash grab, isn't it? It's fa- we're gonna, Content form era is imminent. Do you know, we're going to preview all out for a podcast. that will probably go out on Friday, but it'll be recorded in the aftermath of this. So we maybe won't know much more than what we already know about that card. But Christ almighty, if you were told off... For thinking, what are you worried about with All In? The great wrestlers are going to have great wrestling matches. Like, you're almost scraping the barrel for those with All Out, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, some great wrestlers have great wrestling matches, but I think the build might be worse. Yeah, it's worse. And we'll get into why. Low bar. A low bar, but it was worse for me. There were certain things on the show. I was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you actually doing here? Um, we kicked off, right? We should mention, of course... That um, and my prayers go out. We don't really. Well, I'm not. Well, I'm not religious, certainly. But you know, it's the nice thing to say. Like prayers, thoughts, well wishes yeah. to those affected by the um, hurricanes in Florida. Apparently, there was like a big um, illness issue. Um, so it was a you know a thrown together revised card. Um, so maybe that will account for the low quality in places. And that is pretty much for me the only way you can justify the opener, which I felt nothing for. Uh, John Moxley defeated Commander. Um, Commander is the latest in a long line of guys that Tony Khan likes to beat in ten minute TV matches in this weirdly sort of like prevalent role that they exist to do for six weeks before maybe disappearing for a while. Brian Cage did that earlier this year. Bobby Fish is the most infamous example, <laughs> and now it's Commander. My problem with this match is that on a different night with a different feel. Why not do this? 
minutes. Yeah. Why not? I am getting a little bit... Basically, the, gist, the story just of this match is that it's a diminished return from the John Moxley-Phoenix match. Almost identical structure um, in that the speedy sort of puzzle luchador that is Commander in a Styles Clash with Moxley is trying to dazzle him with his high flying and his sort of agile um, weird attack patterns and Moxley sells in the space between moves he can't get him. Basically puts over the fact that this guy's a puzzle that's flying at me. I can't solve him until I do beat him up. There's some back and forth exchanges and then he taps him out with an armbar. It's a less good version of a match we've just seen, like, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. So that's not good matchmaking. It's familiar, but a worse version. Incidentally, if I don't get the chance to mention this, I kept having to tell myself, you know, this is in Chicago, like the white hot hotbed of pro wrestling in the States. Yeah. AEW's spiritual home. Like, it's, you're playing at home in front of your rabid crowd, and this did not feel like it, like, remotely. Maybe in the main event it did, but not in this open Tragic event. irony, this was the all-in 2018 location. This, yeah, this building, off yeah. the back of Wembley, and off the back of all the celebration of, look how far we've come. Well, it's like, also, look how far we've regressed. Yeah. Those two things are sitting uneasily with one another. Everything is sitting uneasily alongside one another in AEW right now, mm. for my money. Um, so, yeah, that's the story of the match, but I don't, I don't think it was the night to do it. I think when you are... Trying to contrast Moxley and Cassidy. Cassidy's the fighting champion. He's the he's the guy who's all taped up, banged up, telling this great story, and he's got a killer on the opposite side of the ring just to survive to get to Moxley. I think it would have been so much more effective to play with that contrast and have John Moxley kill someone, mm. rip someone to shreds, and then because he's one of the most gifted people ever at this, cut a live promo in the ring again. It's difficult to do that because if you're selling the match with Cassidy... You can't do that because they've made the decision to have Cassidy defend one more time before All Out. So maybe they couldn't do that, but maybe this neither match should have existed as good as one of them was. Um, this just did nothing for me. What's I'm getting a little bit bored slash aggravated by this um, dynamite staple where for years, and for a lot of years it was effective, it did great for someone like Darby Allen who was a lesser star than John Moxley when they mm. had a match in, uh, on Dynamite in 2019. And the fact that they went back and forth and Darby took him to his limit and he had to get Avalanche death-rided to yeah. the canvas, that was so key in getting the likes of Darby Allen over originally. Now, you don't need necessarily to get these up-and-coming guys over by giving him loads and these back-and-forth... <laughs> TV matches because you've got way too many established stars that you're not doing anywhere near enough with Hangman Page. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? So it feels like this match structure belongs to a different era of AEW. And why give Commander so much in this match when he's going to get so little going forward? It just feels like autopilot agenting. It feels like you are... It's hard to diminish probably impossible at this point to diminish John Moxley's aura, but in there I didn't think of them as this killer who has arrived at Orange Cassidy's doorstep at the worst possible time 
like out for his blood. It just felt like a guy working a gentleman's three star match in the opener of a TV show. Like an extreme warfare save where you're kind of starting to get bored with it. Yeah. Where you're just auto booking your cards because you were bang into it for the first three months and then you've kind of done all the pounds you wanted to. So you're just like, I'm going to let this promotion die now. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, you might have articulated there what I took to be um, just a lack of chemistry. I I was kind of like looking at this at a more basic level of I just don't think these have got particularly good like entertaining chemistry not not the kind of bad chemistry where it's a bad styles clash just the fact that nothing like John Moxley reacting to Commander's like physics breaking offense just didn't have the magic that it might have once had for example as this kind of grittier heelish version of himself um, he was he, he was still able to do that as a babyface there was a charm to that. And this was different. This was like the anger just didn't mesh as well with it. And I thought that was what was happening. But you're probably right. There's probably like some bigger picture stuff at play here because this was, this wasn't entertaining. This was, we talked on the NXT preview, which for, I, for the sake of it. Yeah. Like we, we talked on the NXT review, which I do recommend you go back and listen to like about this, like how much wrestling is too much wrestling in your wrestling week. And my recent sort of realization of how, I've got to just decide if I remember a match by Sunday. There's that much in a week. How much do I really remember? Yeah. And I guess the bar currently with all that we consumed over the past three days is, would we agree it's the NXT cage match? Yes. Like, On TV, certainly. This dynamite is where the bar should be for that match. And a John Moxley match, I think there's a reasonable expectation of that. And Commander, often some weeks, this fell way short. When you are seeing Commander as a victim, as you point out, of like Tony Khan's patterns and his bad habits, I think you're seeing John Moxley as a victim of bad habits. Like, I know it's skipping ahead, but you know the promo we cut later on? Like, people here are all bite and on bark, or whichever way around yeah. it was. And he did that line about everybody's got a belt these days. I've seen that in wrestling before, and that it d- is delivered by very frustrated people. Yes. Mick Foley's one was infamous during the invasion when he was a happy go lucky commissioner that suddenly got very cross. Um, you should be wanting one of those belts as well. Yeah. Like, everybody's got a belt these days is a damning indictment from your most reliable cornerstone figure who has basically talked people out of depression during a pandemic who can now not seemingly talk people out of the malaise with the AW on-screen product. Like, that's the one job. Moxley has somewhat unfairly been tasked with this entire time and now he's kind of unable to do it convincingly. I think if he's not doing it in the promo and the match isn't delivering, you need to look at your company because that's the one thing John Moxley has offered with an almost 100% consistency since AEW launched. I, I, there's a big problem. If if you're losing Moxley's investment, you're losing everything. Yeah, And I like maybe, and I saw that Made me reflect on the match after I'd seen that promo. I was like, oh, you're not... You're not, you're not, you're not buying this. Yeah. That's a real issue. Completely. Or you're not believably selling it to me. One yeah, or the other. One or the other. Uh, we've got a video package all um, about Cassidy's international title reign. A uh, little pre-tape from Cassidy uh, before his really great um, live promo later on um, saying that you'd think, after all, in I need a break, but tonight I'm going to show John Moxley why I'm not the same wrestler I was four years ago. Really cool. Just a different proposition yeah. now. 
Um, this is an attempt to put Cassidy on Mox's level, which, you know, I think is a, a noble thing to do. And um, we're going to get this weird rubbish angle um, <laughs> that was taped at Wembley between the Young Bucks and FTR. So the Young Bucks are presumably being filmed by Brandon Cutler. I hope there's no invisible camera, um, even though they've kind of insidiously introduced it, where they're basically saying, oh, this is our night, our show, we created this. We should have bloody won. FTR come in. The Bucks are vaguely apologetic, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably shouldn't have done that, but, you know, we were meant to win that, and we are kind of devastated that we didn't, and we thought we should have, and all the rest of it. And there's, like, this uneasy peace treaty, I guess, between FTR and the Bucks, but the implication is that the Bucks realize, ah, if we'd taken a shortcut, we might have won that. So maybe that's on their horizon. They are all those um, two tag teams interrupted by uh, the Bing Bing Bing, and Bullet Club Gold, and then this incredibly pissy, weird childish argument breaks out where, and I think that's you're meant to find it obnoxious, but I just found it obnoxious, if that makes any sense, where they're going, oh, you losers. You losers, <laughs> young bigs. You should be out of this locker room. It's this locker room's lock- for the winners. It's locker room's yeah. for the winners and all the rest of it. And FTR, like, they've got prior um, with um, the Bullet Club gold, and, you know, they are showing respect to the young buck for the war that they've just had. So this all turns into an eight-man tag. How... Are you booking an angle designed to sell a fight in a locker room and there are more fights in the real locker room? Like, it's the locker room. I can believe it if a punch gets thrown. <laughs> yeah. This felt like eight kids. Uh, it's, this was not not foreshadowed. Like, do you remember when FTR and the books were saving each other from the attacks? Oh, by the I, I, it's, Club it's, that, it's going back to the ability to identify that this is a story does not make it a good story. Yeah. Me and uh, my good friend Paul Levesque might disagree sometimes, but yeah, yeah you're right. The Yeah, this match was not, not foreshadowed, and I, in fact, would have anticipated it at some point as, if nothing else, a way to facilitate the Young Bucks' heel turn, a proper turn, you know, to set up the fourth match. But in light of the, the not the state the company's in, I don't know the state, but, like, the where the company is right now, like, optics-wise, is this really great for All Out? This is such a TV Dynamite ma- as hell. TV match that moves the story on, that makes total sense, that has just enough of a thread of believable animosity to get you to where you want to go next. Like this, shouldn't this have been on Twitter to set up the Dynamite match here, to set up the tag match at All Out? Yes. And it's like, that is... They've done a million of these eight-man tags on Dynamite. Yeah. Like, that's kind of like WWE dragging out stuff, isn't it? We haven't really got a lot of hours to fill in. We haven't really got the content, so... Have your slop. Like, eat your slop. Just just, a, yeah, I just did not think much of this at all. I thought it was poorly performed. I thought the match was dynamitastic. Um, should mention as well, right, I feel a bit guilty burying this, but it's it's what they've booked for a pay-per-view. Um, in and around all of this, they announced that for the world television title, Samoa Joe is going to wrestle Shane Taylor. Yeah. At AEW All Out. Wasn't the idea... Obviously, the idea by doing All In and All Out was a cash grab. Let's get two pay-per-views, if anything, because the content farm is upon us. Wasn't the idea of having Kenny Omega not work a singles match at All In save something for All Out? Samoa Joe versus Shane Taylor, Yeah, in a different context, I think, could be really great. I think this is going to die in the building, depending on when it's placed, because I hate to do that thing where... Because I don't want to get misinterpreted as 
No one knows who Shane Taylor is. Yes, a lot of people know that Shane Taylor is a really, really strong talent. And But there's a time and place. It's one of those where it's like, if they said, oh, what's he doing on Dynamite? And it's like, it's a TV show. You're not asked to pay for it. You can go on Google and find it out. Yeah. Or you can sit down and wait to be wowed by this new talent. It's just a different way of doing it. For me, pay-per-view is very different. You are asking people to pay $50. And yeah, it used to be. Um, them completely butchering pay-per-view bills at the exact same time as expanding the pay-per-view calendar is a goddamn weird one, um, a really hard one for me to get um, on board with. This is not, yet again, This uh, it's not an all-outsized match. No. It's one thing to do, oh, is that really big enough for Wembley? When you're now thinking, is that big enough for just a AEW pay-per-view? You've got serious problems. Everyone, I'm not saying, I don't want to speak for everyone, but you saw these as much as I did. Everybody complained about the Wembley build in that big day of fighting when the rumour broke about the trios match and it was a really fun day. On X. Class, uh. X, it was like, X is back. X is here. Um, X has arrived. X has arrived. The fight was rooted in this idea from the likes of me and you and plenty of others, not necessarily just people that were going, but like lots of people, observers that care. Ah, this is Brad Broken. Lots and lots of Brad Broken and you don't want to book this show badly because it's, what, it's the biggest show you'll ever do. Right, so... Don't book it badly. That's, now, doesn't that seem like a reasonable complaint yeah. when you're also doing a bad job of booking the much smaller show? But people at the time swore blind it was because of All Out and swore blind it was because of... Uh, sorry, Tony's got a business to run, losers. And it was like, aye, and here's some objective evidence that he's not doing the best job at this part of this part of his job. AEW making money out the ass, so he's nailing that bit of it. That's not what we're here for as fans or critics or whatever. What happened was months of bad booking... And what's just happened is another week of bad booking. It is no more complicated than that. This is a badly booked product with obvious exceptions, huge ones, brilliant ones in the way of the main event and like other stuff. But across the board, there's lots and lots of examples of bad booking and there were going into all in and there were going into all out and there will be going into wrestle dream. Wrestle dream? Have I got that right? Wrestle dream, yeah. Wrestle dream. And there will going into winter is coming and it's on. Wrestle Mario pad. <laughs> and on and on it goes. Like it's. This is a badly booked product at the moment, and no Wembley, nor Chicago, nor Brandon will make any difference to that. And yet, a flicker of the magic still remains. That irreverent, non-sequitur comedy that only this company is capable of happened in the next segment, which I've watched about ten times. I love this so much. Preemptive. Oh my god! For um, a video package of the Outcasts implosion yeah. at um, All In, which I want to put over again. The sell from Saraya's not nice mom. Yeah, was very nice. Yeah, she looked like she had her lights knocked out, and then she looked feral trying to get in the ring. Saraya's facial expression was glorious, and then you get you the finish and all the rest of it. We cut to Renee Paquette with their Tony Storm. Oh my god! And. Rene Paquette says, we've got a new AEW champion. Um, it did come at the cost, potentially, of dissension within the outcasts. Um, Tony, you are visibly upset. What are your thoughts? Tony Storm has got a faraway look in her eye. She's stroking her neck in contemplation. Basically going very deep into psychosis. Yeah. And then she says, I'm happy for Surya. God knows I am. But, you know, she went off script in my performance at All In. And now I can't trust Surya. Can't trust Ruby Soho. 
Contra Sheeta. I've never trusted Britt Baker. And Paul Turner, the referee, should be sacked. <laughs> it's safe to say, Renee, that Wembley went tits up. <laughs> and you know, I can't trust anyone anymore. And she's going on this like internal monologue, but out loud because she's losing sight of what you should be thinking and saying and all the rest of it. She's like, uh, uh, she's going off script. I can't trust these bloody shoes and throws them at Renee Paquette. I was howling, howling with laughter at this. I find it as funny, if not funnier, the more I replay it. This, to me, is still the only in AEW magic. And, right, I get swept up in recency bias. And I like doing that because it means I've Mm. still got the capacity to love and enjoy things in my my dark heart, right? I'm trying to think of a, a wrestler who I've just watched and thought, ah, you're not that good. And then, wow, you're actually amazing. Where did this come from? I'm trying to think of a wrestler who has improved one area of their game as much as Tony Storm has all but perfected the art of the wrestling promo. Bear in mind, this is the woman who was like the shiny, shiny. Mm -hmm. If you've never seen that, Google Tony Storm, shiny, shiny. It's when she's the NXT UK champion. It is pitiful. You are embarrassed for how bad this promo is. To go from that to one of the best promos of the year. And I think this was. And I think she's been doing great work over the past few weeks. Maybe, right, in terms of how he was perceived and the level of competition above him and how he's just become incredible. Maybe Taichi's in-ring game Uh, is comparable in terms of someone going from a certain level to becoming one of the best in the world, you could argue. I cannot fathom the improvement in Tony Storm in terms of cutting promos. I can't think of anything where someone's like, where'd that personality come from? Not just the the, the delivery, the humor, how lost she is in the character, quite literally, it's it's fabulous. It was, I'll be honest, this one didn't blow me away any more than the others, but all of them have blown me away. I think tits up. It's a funny line. Tits up! It's a funny line. And like, it oddly puts over Wembley, doesn't it? Wembley was the grand plan. And that's the thing. Yeah. In this very irreverent, bold way, what Tony Storm is doing is fundamental. She's selling the devastation of losing. Yeah. That's what AEW was born from. And she's the only one in this promotion, or not the only one, the best one in this promotion at doing the wins and losses matter stuff. Because this character exists because wins and losses matter. It started yeah. when she lost the belt, and it's now... She's the, she was using Wembley as the, well, maybe that'll fix it. Yeah. Please, dear God. And then it hasn't. But it went tits up. It went tits up. Yeah, I love this. Just like the shoe bit's really funny to the point where now, as she was cutting this promo, you were trying... This is the fun bit, isn't it? You're trying to see where she introduces the shoe bit. Like, you know that this is going to end with Renee having to duck out the way of a shoe. But the fact that she folds it into what she's been saying rather than just leaving and lobbing it. She's going to use it as a foreign object in the ring. Of course, There's yeah. Like, loads of places they can go. Like, she can turn babyface because this is so over. And I know it's a different era of the old Hollywood starlet yeah. that she's playing. But she can do They Love Me, They Really Love Me. There's so much they can do. It's been a fantastic... Like, before the match at All In, everybody was already just too excited for Tony Storm's next development to worry about her winning the match. Yeah. Which was sort of ideal for her, wasn't it? There's your obvious loser. Yeah. Because people are excited for this character to continue to develop, and we've got it. I love it. I don't share your pro AEW sentiment for it. I share my like your Tony Storm sentiment. Like I don't. I but they give her the platform. It's I, still there. I think she's got this elsewhere. 
Like, I'm, maybe that's me lower on AEW even still than you are. But, like, I think this character, I think I, I think this is her. I don't think this company's got much of this in them at the moment. No, and that's what I'm saying. The freedom I get, the creative expression I get, this this happens elsewhere. Like, she's, she's, like, taking this half-decent idea and making it ten times better. A lot of wrestlers in AEW are not taking half-decent ideas and making them better. That's because maybe the roster, in terms of certain areas of the game, isn't... They don't have it. They don't have it? Maybe. Or they're not Maybe. doing enough? There's various bits, like the card blade. Yeah. Like, that is just... This is the only an AEW thing I was talking about. Like, that's someone saying, can I get this on TV? Or can I do this? And they, yeah. if, to their, they're not doing anything. But that's the, that's They're doing something by doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that something is everything. I wonder, as well, like, this was a collision character, wasn't it? She was starting to separate herself from... Um, I think it's a lot of it's been on collision, yeah. Like, I, I, this is the first one of these she's done it's on Dynamite. No, no, that wasn't what I was, was going to say. I wonder if this is an attempt to move this character back into the Dynamite space. Like, the realisation that it's a, a bit bigger than collision. I mean, they might not have any choice but to start putting bigger characters on collision if Punk's yeah. not around. But you know what I mean? Like, it felt like they were, what they were doing was creating the divide in the outcast by having Tony Storm develop this character over on collision. And then Dynamite was where, like, Sarir and Soho were having their qualifiers and things like that, and Rampage. And maybe that's not the case anymore. Maybe, like, um, Statlander was back on Dynamite tonight as well. Yeah. Maybe there's been a bit of a rethink about who exactly they all need. Along, all along, they'd said that they were never, ever going to do a split, hard, soft, or otherwise, with the women's division because they internally said that they don't have the talent to do that. Yeah. I, I disagree with why they thought to do that, but that's the reality. Right, yeah. Um, up next, Chris Jericho comes out, thanks the crowd, um, for the ovation he got and put over one of the greatest weekends in his career um, as a singer, as a wrestler, all the rest of it. Talked about the record. Blah, blah, blah. And he says that he does, you know, want to address his actions after the match and he invites Sammy Guevara to the ring, says, look, as great as a weekend as it was, um, I'm not happy with the way things were left between us and obviously I lost. Um, this begins a argument between the two which I thought was significantly better than anything I've seen from the JAS or Jericho outside of the weekend he had, which was fabulous, of course. Because my problem all along with the idea of, oh my God, the Jericho Appreciation Society, they're going to split up. The idea that these people who are one-dimensional clowns doing a parody act that was um, irrelevant mere months after forming, the idea that they have emotions and depth to the characters. I just thought, I don't believe this at all. This is much better because it's two heels being dicks to each other, and that's the, what the JAS is realistically. They are heel dickheads, yeah. and this time they are being heel dickheads to each other. Kind of all goes a little bit wrong if you think too far ahead because I don't think anyone is clamoring for either of these to play babyface, which is not why it, it's a wrong time to do it, basically. Maybe there's no good time because Jericho's had his face run. People just, they love singing Judas and they love Jericho, but it's not Moxley heart and soul thing. Mm. Um, he's not so entertaining anymore that I'll have to cheer him to Jericho. So that's a problem. But on the night, I thought they played this perfectly. They blame each other for Jericho's loss. I said, oh, you didn't hit him with the Judas effect hard enough. No, I, don't th- I think your bad shot was a little bit weak, actually, Sammy. And then that evolves into, well, you know, you should probably still stay with me because I can give you some advice. 
and I'm still the person who can nurture you into a star. And then Sammy says, well, I don't really want advice on how to lose one of the biggest uh, weekends in wrestling history, so I think you're good. It then de-escalates when Jericho suggests, you know what, we should be the sex gods and go for the tag team titles. Um, I enjoyed this. I thought it was strong. What I liked about it is I've been getting a little bit impatient with the glacier slow plot developments in AEW. Like, some of them are so slow that by the time they arrive at them, they think it's no longer a good idea and you've just wasted a year. Mm-hmm. Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland being the obvious example. In this specific case, though, I do buy the fact that there wasn't a turn at Wembley and there wasn't a turn last night. And there might not be one in the weeks to come because of all the people who should be reluctant, willing to give their you know relationship another shot, it's these two because it's been... Four years. I don't think it should be that sudden. I don't think it makes any sense mm. for it to be that sudden. I quite like as well. Um, I, th- I thought this was all right, by the way. I've got a conspiratorial take that I'll get to in a second. But, like, I quite liked how, for all the, you know, the Callis Jericho stuff. What a waste of freaking time. Felt like a real waste of time. Callis didn't even think he could get Jericho. No, they might have salvaged something. It was in revealed. It, because in the match itself, I really liked how they took that shot of Sammy Guevara's face after the Judas Fett kick out because I think you were being instructed to think, is Guevara losing faith in Jericho? And then he kind of explains that he kind of is. He, uh, while Don Callis is at ringside and it turns out that like the Callis-Jericho skirmish was to exist to make you think, is Callis getting under Sammy Guevara's skin? We here? should and mention that Callis tapped up Guevara. Yeah. But Guevara, to his credit, as the babyface, I think, mm-hmm. was instantly, I know what you're trying to do, yeah. stop it, because it's not happening. But was that the good AEW thing of um, organically bringing these characters together? Or, you know, making it feel organic? Like, the Callis and Guevara characters came together because they were both seconds for Jericho and Osprey. It absolutely didn't need the weeks of storyline and join the family and all of that. But on the night, I certainly felt this... Yeah, they've really wanted you to dwell on this Guevara thing, and Callis was ringside as well, and then we had this moment on screen. So I quite like that as an ingredient. My conspiratorial take is that this Le Sex Gods FTR match is a match we've kind of been crying out for for ages, and I feel like Chris Jericho's, um, what is it, like, what's the phrase? Like, seeing the way the wind's blowing with All Out and has navigated his way to next week on Dynamite rather than this Sunday on pay-per-view where this match probably would have been a really valuable addition and far more valuable than the eight-man. I know, but as you'd said, they'd already built the FTR and Bucks alliance for the eight-man well ahead of Jericho seeing seeing that. Did they say all out in that backstage segment, or was that just presented as a graphic? I can't remember off the top of my head. Because it'd be great if like they thought they were building the Dynamite match, yeah. and then Jericho's like, I'm not doing that. Not and he's like, that. all right, all out graphic it is then. Yeah. But I, this feels to me like something that should have been on the pay-per-view. So, yeah, fair enough, you film that vignette, and then somebody says, oh, the sex calls an FTR. Right, scrap there. Bullet Club Gold, eh, man? This is bigger. And this, yeah. this pay-per-view needs... This is bigger. Big, There's yeah. no reason why they couldn't have done that. Aye. Because FTR are still going to be the champs. Yeah. And even if they weren't, it wouldn't have made a difference. You can still run the eight-man, yeah. Uh, wrong way around, basically. The wrong way around. This is the point where we get to the uh, Moxley promo that Hamlet mentioned earlier, uh, where he says, uh, everyone's barking, we're the ones um, who bite... He says, we don't have nicknames, titles, or hashtags, or who has the most titles, whatever, whatever. Yeah, it was all a bit weird, this. Um, and then we get Eddie Kingston versus Wheeler. You, I'd be lying if I said I was blown away by this match. I'd be lying if I said it was a great match. I just love Eddie Kingston and the little touches he applies to his work 
to the point where I knew I wasn't watching anything special. And when you watch so much special, something not special just becomes something more mundane. But I just love Eddie Kingston, and I've missed seeing him on Dynamite on the biggest show of AEW's week as a prominent character. So I think that did a lot of the hard work towards this. It only goes about seven or eight minutes. Um, Kingston selling his arm throughout. Um, you know how everyone does a fighting spirit spot? Mm. Like, Kingston gets the like the, the, the psychology of why to do it and when to do it because he's getting his arm tortured. And Wheeler Yuta is a great little snotty punk heel. It's like laughing at him and just enjoying it cruelly. And that, in turn, makes Cuddy Kingston resent <laughs> with a brilliant expression of fury and defiance on his face. And he gets back into the match and he does a dive and he makes a dive <laughs> mean something because I think the idea is, well, my whole body, body's battered, getting worked over by this little dickhead technician who's got a million ways to hurt me. All of my body hurts. Well, there's nothing left of it. I'll just fly myself at him and try and damage him that way. Then we get the double Urican finish. And in the post-match, this is interesting. Claudio, so great, walks around ringside with the idea of, I'm going to take Wheeler Yitter out of here, but I'm not going to um, have a look at Eddie Kingston once. I'm not going to acknowledge him. That's in direct contrast to the best bit of... Remember that Mox Ishii match? That was a little bit... It was very good but disappointing in a weird way. And then Kingston's music hit halfway through. And it was like, why are you sports entertaining Ishii? Yeah. But Kingston and Claudio were just staring at each other in that It's Always Sunny yeah. meme. This was in stark contrast. Does he now think, oh, Eddie might have my number and I can't acknowledge that? I don't know, but um, I like the dynamic. I really like it. In fact, it was one of my matches of the year. And even though it's a bit... Eddie Kingston and Shibata versus Claudio and Yuta is like the thing I'd look most forward to on an ROH pay-per-view. With a, It's still going to be fantastic on an AEW pay-per-view, but it's still not quite there as the thing I was desperate to watch knowing I'm not going to get the punga. Is it Kingston-Claudio at Grand Slam then? That or Kingston-Mox. Yeah, because either of them could be belted by then, couldn't they? I didn't like this. I thought this match underwhelmed on the promise of the graphic. I loved the idea, the mere idea of Eddie Kingston and Wheelie Uter in a singles match off the back of something like a stadium stampede is perfect, isn't it? Uter is the rat in a trap, basically. And I just thought it really under-delivered. The crowd weren't hot for Kingston. It's the weirdest Chicago crowd. It has to be the weakest Chicago crowd in AEW's history. Yeah. Again, I had to remind myself, oh, this is in Chi-Town. But, like, we've been in weak Vegas crowds, which also used to be hot. AEW's not hot yeah. in America. And, like, they, so they weren't really up for Kingston in that way that, like, that Kingston makes you up for him. Like, his whole deal about not really caring about entrances and not really caring about the pomp of wrestling television and about the fight about whatever he's really emotionally invested in that day. He brought all of that, and it wasn't really given back to him by the live crowd. And I didn't feel that moved to give it back myself. I like... The, do you know what? No, I don't. I'm, I was the low guy on Kingston Claudio, truthfully, at Ring of Honor. That was fantastic. And I'm kind of over it. Like, I'm a little bit... I get it. You've, you've sort of beaten me over the head with this. Like, I, the match at Grand Slam isn't anywhere near... The one I want, I don't think, nor is the ring I want a belt. Like, I get it. Bloody hate each other, them too. Why can't they just get along? Like, 
There's a real, you know, uh, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens at their most cartoonish in WWE. Probably like the good match, but like the Logan Paul infused one at WrestleMania 37. Which is way better than that. I, I just feel it's a more violent version. It's the grittier version. It smells a bit more of piss than that one. Like it's arsier and needler, like needlier, but I just. I don't know. Grand Slam might get there, but then again, the Grand Slam crowd needs to be bigger and hotter yes. as well. So, so this like is your sports entertainment as opposed to real grabs. It's entertainment. I'd like to feel that I was entertained by this. A lot of like, were. Maybe re- uh, real grabs. I don't know. Like it's just it's fine. We've seen it. Like this, it's not Blood and Guts 2022 when like he's got the submission on the top and you're like, man, Kingston must be boiling over yeah. rage. It was dropped. They've taken too long with it, to the yeah. point where if you take too long with something like this, and yes, Kingston's been injured and all the rest of it, but he went to ROH, and then he went to Claudio, and then he's just forgotten, and he got injured again. So. In Japan, having the time of his life. Yeah. I'm like, so mad. Like the, the injuries have derailed this, but at the same time, it's if they hate each other this much, you kind of have to put it at the forefront all of the time. He can't be, oh, we'll reheat this, we'll tease it at Forbidden Door or whatever, and then we'll drop it, and then we'll do it then. It has to be like it. They hate each other that much. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. You want Kingston to be like escorted out the arena, gouging yeah. out his eyes, all the rest of it. It just feels like this is the one program you can't muck about with. So I get that, but I just like Kingston's performance here. The pairing is like for da fans. Like people will come up like conversationally, and I think the match will be well received and stuff like that. I just on like a personal level, whatever fire there used to be feels like it's been like long extinguished. I feel like I'm watching a program more than the Eddie Kingston makes it feel real. Yeah. Genre. Like, I get it. I feel like it's part of that now. Probably been a bit, bit too negative. Now we get a video package um, of the all-in main event, and then we cut to the post-match uh, where MGF said, look, you've made me wrestle more than I've ever had to do, um, even for the ROH titles of all things. Um, my neck is really hurt. Thank you for trying to break it, by the way, but I'll forgive you, my, you're my brochaccio. I'm going to go to Paris, eat some baguettes, bang some rats, and I will see you later. <laughs> and then, then, and then they're going to win whoever wins the Rampage Battle Royal. What a terrible... Do that on Dynamite. Rampage yeah. is stick. I, I know you have to do it, but at this point, you could probably put any old crap on Rampage and get an 0.10. Yeah. 
if like it's everything that happens on Rampage, it's so stigmatized that I just think they don't care about it, mm. and they can't make you do this about the Cole MGF act. It shouldn't even be indirectly linked to Rampage, but it is. It's on the same taping, same roster. There, yeah. yeah. We're going to spoil that Battle Royal on the All Out preview, so there's a little warning for you as well. Watch the rest of it. We'll give you a spoiler yeah. warning. Listen to the rest of it. Listen to the rest of it. Um, this is when the um, Rene Baquet, Sammy Guevara getting tapped up by Callis thing happens. Um, tell Not, there was a nice detail there, wasn't it, about Callis? Like, oh, yeah, like, heard about the pregnancy, great news. Like, what now? Yeah, no. Like, yeah. She's, she's about to drop. Yeah. You dick. That's, <laughs> like, that's actually, I. No, he just doesn't care about yeah. anything, really. <laughs> Love you, Sammy. Yeah. Great news about that. Like the <laughs> well, I like the panda thing you're doing with your head. Yeah, massive fan. Yeah, that's really great. Um, then we get story time with Adam Cole, baby. He <laughs> says he thanks everyone for the best, biggest night of his life. Greatest show of all time. Biggest show of all time. Wasn't perfect, however. Um, he didn't win the title match, but he did win those ROH titles. He knows that'll get another one um, in time. And he says, you know, this is a key plot detail and the way they've tied these two things together is brilliant. Um, despite MGF's neck being banged up, he says that better than you, baby, will be ready for all out, at which point Roderick Strong and the Kingdom barge to the ring. Now, I'm going to risk sounding like a hypocrite here because I hate exposition. And maybe don't give AEW enough grief for doing it because they often do a lot of that unnatural wrestling dialogue of, I'm talking to you, my rival, and I'm going to tell you, who would know more than anyone about our rivalry, it's just a wrestling thing. I bury WWE for it all of the time. I should maybe do it more with AEW. Jericho's a particularly bad offender, but I think that's because he's been in the WWE system for that long. Yeah. This is how we talk on TV. Yeah. yeah. And I think there was a lot of exposition here because Cole knows very well what Mike Bennett was saying to him. But at the same time, I think maybe it needed some because I don't want to, you know, sort of wail and faint and get the smelling salts on behalf of the casual fan who's so <laughs> ignorant that they've just fell over. I do think they needed to tell you why the kingdom and Adam Cole have got this bitter history because they've been on the periphery of the storyline. If you've got a brain in your head, you could quite easily infer... All right, okay, well, the kingdom were previously associated with Cole and like Roderick Strong, they are angry that they've been abandoned by him. Maybe that's all it needed, but in terms of, you can infer the how or the what, but why? And I think as much as this was exposition-laden dialogue, I thought Mike Bennett's performance was good. I can understand why people don't like it. I love Roderick Strong in this role. He is got... Don't like this. Are there some people on Twitter? They're, they're wrong. Roderick Strong in this role has got that whiny... Ah, uh, someone punched him in the face. 1994 Owen Hart energy. Yeah. He's nailed it. And basically, they come out and they say, you know, the, the, the kingdom talk about the history with Adam Cole. Roderick Strong says, do you not care about my neck health? <laughs> and I love how they've done the neck stuff yeah. in Cole MGF, not only to advance that story, but to tie it back into the Roderick Strong, which is just so well done. Do you not care about my neck health? He says, I don't care about my neck and if it's 50% or 80% I'm still going to enter myself into the Grand Slam Tournament of Champions and I'm going to break everyone's backs I'm a wrestling legend there and then they walk out 
I thought this was great. Yeah, I did highlight the dynamite for me by a mile. Highlight the dynamite. Talked about it yesterday, didn't we? Roderick Strong, such a baby. Roderick, Roderick Strong being a baby is so good. He's performing in a way that makes you agree with MJF the devil that Adam Cole should cut him out of his life, even if down the road it turns out that MJF's just been using Adam Cole and really you should stick with your friends. This is you're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. Yeah, yeah, right. Like it's it's brilliant. Uh, I love the performances here. The exposition point, like. It's always been case by case for me. Like it's a good and bad version of everything that allows us to lean into our respective biases as well. Partly, but then I would never let the bad faith critics of uh, the, the the ones that we talk about. How will the casual fans know? I would never let let that be louder than. Well, sometimes you do actually need a bit more information on this. This needed some emotional bite, and I think like, they delivered it. Tony Khan, to his immense credit, has opened up the wrestling universe in a way that WWE never even wanted to. So there are going to be lots of cases, and this is a good thing, where characters are coming in with prior backstories from other organisations, from other stables and the like. Uh, and you have to make, you have to be judicious as to when a story needs fleshing out or when fans can just get the gist. You know, yeah. And each one, I think, deserves its own focus and own care. The example we always use, and it was never going to get the focus because it was a women's storyline was the Riho title match in, what was it, 2019? 2019 full gear against Emi Sakura. Inexcusable. They had the best <laughs> story that no one could write, yeah. and they didn't even recap it. Yeah, that was, and then their idea was, well, you know, the fans will go and do their homework, and it was like, well, no, they shouldn't bloody have to. This was a case where it should have had some, and I would argue that this one did too. You can see that the kingdom had befriended Roddy Strong, so even if you knew nothing else, you know Adam Cole, and you know of Adam Cole and Roddy Strong's story, and Roddy Strong has now got two allies. This was just giving you more meat on the bone as to why that is. Yeah, Strong entering the tournament is great. He should win. Like Strong and MJF at Grand Slam is the match. They've 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 shown it's Tony Khan tournament booking, isn't it? They've shown you the winner you want. Like they've like you've done it again. It's like oh these brackets are really dramatic and like Roderick Strong's matches are all on dynamite and the other side's all on rampage. That's a bit weird. Yeah, and Roderick Strong versus I don't know, Keith Lee following his victories over some guy you've never heard of and whoever Keith Lee's made it to the final. Who's going to win? Yeah, you know that's all, it's it's that Tony Khan thing. But they've shown me a winner here. That's the Grand Slam match. They're going to need something bigger, in my opinion. I love this story, as does everyone else who, yeah. well, most people who watch AEW. Some people think it's WWE melodrama. I think that's stupid. It's so much better. It's a better version. Um, it's, a, it's a good version of an often good thing. Okay. We can agree to disagree. Yeah. Um, I still think it needs... That feels like it could happen. That could be MGF's monthly by monthly title events on television in... I don't know, Missouri. No offense to any Missourians <laughs> out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, yeah. they need 20,000 in Arthur Rash. They need, oh, that's not freaking out. They're not getting 10. They need 10 <laughs> to make it look halfway decent. Yeah. So I think you'll get a big grudger. Uh, we did one with Raw this no, week. Or maybe the Edger. The Edger. Like, uh, just a brief, badly deep dive on this melodrama thing, right? Are we, like, not spotting a trend because we're old for how much like this is really connected right it's connected with us because we've seen all the wrestling and they're showing us like something brand new um but AEW always wants younger fans WWE wants younger fans wrestling wants and needs younger fans because this idea of bringing back lapsed ones is a myth you've got to create new ones all the time all the time WWE for all of its faults has created 
and it is creating, not bringing back the old ones, created loads of fans in the last few years, loads and loads. Predominantly, you have to give credit to the Bloodline because it's always been a top promotion, top star company. And that's been this. That's been mellowed, like way more hack and way more corny, cheese ball for all the reasons you've identified. But that's been at the core of it. Yeah. WWE's like boom last couple of years. Younger wrestling fans love this. They do. And I like it, but I don't think I love it as much as they do. And AEW's first, is it its first attempt at it? No, it isn't. Like, well, right. AEW predated the bloodline. Aye, aye, the right. elite Sorry. are pretty melodramatic. All right, first good one. Like, Shut up. No, nah, all right, fair enough. No, like Paige and Omega, I would say, was a more sophisticated version of this. So you're watching wrestling cartoonish stuff here, just the best version of it. This leans Kenyan, on the fun side more yeah, than... Elite stuff was like a very sophisticated way of telling stories rather than... And yeah, the Young Bucks had... It was it. all like tales of friendship and love as opposed to... I, just, I think it was deeper. I think there was like, there was an elite philosophy at the core. This is pro wrestling. This is pro wrestling melodrama done very, very well. Yeah. I think that like... The elite... AEW kickstarted the trend. I think WWE have done a really good job of kind of like... They just like made it peak higher then. Like, I think they've realized, like, oh, hang on, there's something in this melodrama stuff and this shades of grey and internal strife amongst a faction. Like, they'd never done out like that. Wasn't like Triple H grief for that constantly when NXT, when like Gargano and Champ hit like their melodrama years and stuff like that. Like, eh. it wasn't good. I'm just saying it was there. Like, I I'm, think that was more soapy. This is different. Like, I yeah. think this is soap. I think this is like peak wrestling that's soap. Good soap. Yeah, that's what I think this is. And I just like, I don't know, like, the people that are criticising this, are they, like, even stuffier than we are in their tastes? Because young wrestling fans, the elusive, it's not even 18 to 40, let's say 18 to 25, that elusive demographic is being enchanted by this. Well, I, it started as, we all know wrestling is the industry of hate. Yeah. They hate each other, and now it's about people who love each other. There's been a definite paradigm yeah. shift. I think that's really interesting. And I yeah. think, like, it's too easy to use the old rules and apply them to something like this when Wembley to me was proof that that can exist in the main event like on the biggest stage as well yeah. not not just in like Triple H's fan wank or it in Money in the Bank you know it's yeah it's happened at Revolution 2020 as he said it happened in NXT I, I just I don't know I kind of like that maybe it's because the form has been perfected with this one like and definitely people have felt that at times with like, wh- wherever you pick your bloodline moment, Sammy's going to get the T-shirt ripped off, whichever bit it was. Like, I'm really loving this form get perfected in a way that is showing obvious gains. I, it's, I think it's cool. Like My take on it is that I love it when it's done right. I love virtually everything when it's done right. Yeah, I don't think AEW's got enough urgent... They are going to gouge each other's eyes out if they are not separated immediately by security... One-on-one hatred. So that's like the, where the Kingston Claudio one should be, for yeah. example. Yeah. Um, I think that there should be both realistically. Mm. And I love this MGF Cole stuff. I think it's like an absolute masterwork, but I would like a little bit more balance underneath. Jericho's glomming onto it as well, isn't he? Yeah. Like, I understand they've been telling the story with Guevara for four years, which predates all of it. Well, Bloodline and MGF Cole... But in terms of like that, I'd lo- I can't help but think when Jericho was saying I should do some you know strife within the JAS, he's clearly seen Roman do it on the other channel, and he's taking the melodramatic route with it. Kind of sad they threw away the um, Swerve and AR Fox union because that beatdown was it, wasn't it? Yeah, Nick Wayne 
beatdown was where you first. The thing is that like, even that was always ultimately going to end up in a party match with Sting. I guess, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so following on from that promo, we get the women's match, the only one. It's a trios match between Chris Tatlander, Britt Baker, and Hikaru Shida. They won a match uh, with Nyla Rose, Marina Shafir, and Emi Sakura, and this was all right. This was this pamphlet is famously articulated. Wrestling happening in front of me. <laughs> it was almost evaporating from my memory as it was in progress, if that makes any sense. There was yeah. nothing special about it. And there's some nice double teams um, throughout. The only thing you can take away from this, because the action was just there in the order it should have been, I guess. Uh, I like Statlander's um, hot tag. That was well done. But the story is that Sheeda tags in Baker. Then Baker doesn't tag Shida in. She tags in Chris Statlander. And this annoys Shida. And then when Baker's got one of the heels, like, I'll get them, I'll get their hands behind their back, and you kick them, and then Shida kicks Baker in the face. Why is it a, po- a bone of contention that in a trios match, one member of a trio has a choice between two to make and thinks, I'll put Statlander in because she's fresh here and she's a champion. What difference does it make who she's tagging in at the time? It's such a thin, yeah. thin premise to start a feud, I think, between Sheeta and Baker. So that annoyed me. It's like, who cares? Just tag someone else in. It's a trios match. She's got a choice. Just don't take it personally. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's not a big personal slight. It's the opposite of what drew Soraya and Tony Storm apart. Yes. Like, oh, we could both go for the cover. Like, well, you knew you had to do that. Yeah. You hit my mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So she tags somebody else in. Yeah. You know, like, that's probably good strategy. Uh, so yeah. I hated that. i tell you what as well I hate about this. Is that if you've got a gang of heels in the outcasts and they are outsmarting, beating down the baby faces for what was nine months, I want to say? It's August now. When do the outcasts form? Like... Was it January because that's when money didn't come. When did Soraya fight Brit? Because that was she was still theoretically the babyface. Was that a revolution? I think it was full gear, wasn't it? Well, so it was basically that was her one run as like a singles babyface. It's been over six months. It's been ages, basically. It's been absolutely ages. So you've got the heels that beating them up, and sometimes you know they get beaten up, but mostly they're spraying painting people. They are using the numbers advantage. They are cheating. So they're making their baby faces lose, 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 like quite a lot. Shouldn't, therefore, if you are to take the baby faces seriously at all, baby faces come together, united by a common enemy, defeat the common enemy, and then the common enemy, the outcast, start to ask questions about who's culpable for this, then we've just been beaten. Mm. Oh, it was your fault. Oh, was, all right, okay, I'm going to beat you down and I'm going to become a baby face or whatever. Instead. They've opted to do the self-implosion at All-In, which was fantastic, as we've talked about on the two <laughs> All-In reviews, which you can listen to if you somehow missed them. But they've self-imploded through a miscommunication between the outcasts. Mm. The baby faces haven't done babyface things. Rose up, banded together, and in a fair fight at last beat the heels. So the Babyface has got nothing to do with the implosion of the outcasts. And now when you get them in the match, they are miscommunicating and they're going to have a feud with each other. 
Is it any wonder that Britt Baker's never been less over? She spent the last eight months or whatever doing so many jobs, several of which are the outcasts. Now she's not even overcame them, and now she's having a spat with fellow babyface Sheeta in a trios match. What is this? What resolution is this? What does this do to the babyfaces? Because for me, it does nout for them. And again, it is no wonder that Baker's never been less over. They just don't buy her as a winner anymore. No. It can't, you can't back someone who gets their ass kicked for nine months and then doesn't even get revenge on the heels. No, fans back winners, don't they? It, you're asking bigger questions than AEW are willing to answer here. What this was, I got like a... I never want to do that. I got like a feeling of dread in the pit of my stomach here that Tony Khan thinks he's like figured out, it's like solved the conundrum of the women's division, the one that he has created, by instead of like booking a singles match a week, he's now going to book a trios one. Because you can put, like, three stories in there. Yeah. So, like, we're still only going to get one match. Getting one on collision, aren't we? And the stories are still going to be way for thin, but they're going to be tags and trios instead of singles matches because you can just do more. There's more characters interacting. So if they do an outcast versus homegrown match, it's going to be, like, disagreements on either side? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Them, for Christ's sake. Because you've got Ruby competing for a title while Tony can't really get a shot now. Saray's already got a belt, so she's probably not arsed either way, etc. And they're obviously... Dropped in now with this Britt Baker and uh, uh, Hikaru Shida thing. I know this was good. No. I forgot to mention, because it was so forgettable, that you got the most bog-standard build imaginable um, for the TBS title match at All Out. Um, following the win, um, Statland is left in the ring as Shida and Baker argue. And then sneak attack from behind. Ruby Soho beats up Statlander, gives her the, um, what's it called? Yeah, the kick she does. Yeah, the, uh, I was going to say Soho kick, and I don't mean that. Destination don't. something. Something like that, yeah. The big yeah. kick. Anyway, and then she takes the belt, stands on the ramp, and in 2019, NXT on <sighs> USA style, she just motions that she's going to get it, and then retreats on the ramp. Ramp stuff. The terrible angle this was to, well, not terrible, just the most inoffensive who could possibly care angle. Does he honestly think that, like, Chris Statlander has... Mini, it's not even a feud, has minor dispute with a wrestler, defends title, wins. In his mind, good faith now, does he honest, honestly believe this is the same as Orange Cassidy's international title defence? Look at Stat, rocking up the title defences, it's just like Orange Cassidy. It's not. You're telling one long story with Orange Cassidy, and you tend to arrive at a pretty heated pairing by the time you get to the match. Yeah. Statlander's matches are cold. The reason for the dispute is always weak. She shows no obvious sign of championship wear and tear like Cassidy does. It's just Jade Cargill booking, isn't it? Yeah. But just the matches are harder. Jade Cargill made easier work of her opponents yeah. than Statlander, and they're trying to tell you that Statlander is actually better and more of a successor to Jade Cargill. It's not helping her. Nope. Matches are fine. It isn't. The good, ma- the good wrestlers have good matches. That's Why do you need Tony Khan then? <laughs> yeah, like... Right, so we get a video package for Shane Taylor. It's fine, I guess, but you can maybe give him weeks and months on TV if he's going to be on pay-per-view, you know what I mean? Like, that's just too last minute. Who's is is that for? Like, is, that for the, is that for Shane Taylor? Is that for Joe? Is that, like, it feels like it's for it's the for wrestlers, us. doesn't it? No, no, no. Well, no, it has to, well, no, they're pretending it's for us. Yeah. Like, why would it be for Shane Taylor? It has to be for us, but it's not going to convince me that, all right, get him on pay-per-view. Like, he's really good, but... yeah. It's like you know, the, the book is doing a nice thing by a couple of the wrestlers or something. They just like you see a match like that, and you well, like the noise, the exclamation you make is kind of huh? 
So then, because it's Tony Khan, you want huh? to give him the benefit of the doubt as a promoter. You're like, oh, huh? must be something in it. Sorry, yeah. whenever, uh, huh? That's more like that. Yeah. Uh, what would have confused alien? <laughs> I totally agree. What happens <laughs> next pisses me off the high heaven. What was this again? We get a strategy session with Don Callis and Kanoski oh, and Keshta. Um, it's they could not have done a better job of making you think that this is a dynamite match ahead of next week and not a premium pay-per-view match, one of the biggest attractions on a card you are expected to shell out 50 bucks for. Like, if nothing else, right, even though the misadventures of Callis and Jericho have completely put this one on the back burner, yeah. right? Where the instant that the big familial betrayal happens, Kenny's like, oh, I'm not that bothered. And Jericho can, you know, have his... I just want to forget about him. Kill him! <laughs> right. So what happens here is that, if nothing else, they should put this in the ring. The optics being, we're going to advertise it as the big go-home promo. Mm. Uh, these little things make it seem more important than this backstage strategy session. Why would... Heel mastermind Don Callis, right? This is not how to book. If you knew anything about booking, you wouldn't book this, would you? Because not only does it look unimportant, it's the exact same backdrop where we've seen a million interruptions. Actually, fair play. We don't get that many interruptions on Dynamite anymore. No. They should get credit for that. Um, so on the TV screen, Callus has shown Takeshita x-rays of Kenny Omega's broken body, saying, look, this is the knees, no cartilage. The neck, that's pretty much finished. Um, and also, this is where the hernia scarring is that's a bit of a dodgy area so that's what you need to do we're going to do it with the um that knee right under the chin that's how you do it kanosuke so right omega's gonna think right he's definitely gonna do that in the match so what i'm gonna do is practice to avoid it why would you publicly broadcast your strategy in a match <laughs> it's like a professional football manager hopping onto youtube and saying right this is the formation we're gonna play um, against uh, Bournemouth. Not Bournemouth. Takeshita's way better than Bournemouth. <laughs> against Brighton, right? Mm -hmm. we're, this is how we're going to set up against Brighton. This is the formation. Uh, we're going to do a lot of the play down the right flank because there's a weakness at left back and the centre-half isn't that fast. So you'd be able to um, go past him down the channels put it into the corridor of uncertainty. You happy with that? <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's a football thing, isn't it? Uh -huh. And then, boom, Evan Ferguson can... Uh, no, you know. Haaland, boom, you'll do that. They wouldn't... The Deserby, the Brighton manager, would say, right, okay, well, if they're going to do that, and they've told us they're going to do that, let's just come up with some counter-defensive moves. Why would you put this on television when you're both Tony Khan and Don Callis. You know what I mean? It's absolutely stupid. And what really annoys me about this as well is that not only is it on the back burner and it doesn't feel like this huge grudge match, um, like Kenny Omega usually does such a great job of like showing and not telling this fact that, you know, he's kind of broken down and he's breaking down and there's a lot of pathos there. And when he sparks back into life, it means more because you think, oh God, he's still got it. And it's yeah. meant to arouse this sort of exhilaration and hope within you. Like the props have just rendered it all too cartoonish for me. And you're, because of the props, because of the backstage interruption center that this promo happened, it's meant to feel like your hero, your guy, 
the ace of the company, maybe. Um, the best maybe of all time, certainly the best right now. Oh, man, he's breaking down, and there's a killer lurking, ready to take him out for good. Oh, this could be the end of Kenny Omega, or he's going to get replaced. Mm. He's going to get killed. He's going to get, like, injured. He's going to get get the gurney to use Kenny Omega's own thing, get the airlift, get the gurney. This guy's done. Yeah. Why did I not feel that watching this? This was criminally bad. Simultaneously over and underthought this. Yeah. Me. Like, well performed, but, you know, elevating bad material is supposed to be what happens. And you said, not here. And that's what Callis was attempting to do. This was bad material that his performance was trying to elevate in something meaningful. I completely agree with you. From a logical point of view, this falls over immediately. This simply should not be on television. Um, like, to your point there, Takeshita is a killer. Takeshita is a monster. Like, let Kenny Omega, let this story on the way show you that Kenny's not physically ready rather than them tell you on a dynamite. Like... You don't even need great wrestlers to tell that story. This like, is the thing when we were talking about exposition. This is the thing that doesn't require exposition. Yeah, you do not like because this exposition exposes Callis's master plan and makes Kenny an idiot for not defending himself against it. Well, yeah, like that's like if they want a monster, Kenny Omega, they should just do it. They should like if there's that confidence and that belief. It's moved now from Callis thinking I need to. Like, fuel up Takeshita, because I think Kenny Omega's cooked, and I love what I see out of Takeshita, so I'm going to fuel him up. He's on next 10-year meal ticket. Exactly, yeah. Whereas now, it's almost as if, well, Kenny Omega's so weak, I needn't have bothered fueling him up. Takeshita's going to make, like, it's going to be easy pickings for Takeshita. And nobody really thinks that, so nobody's buying that as a story beat for the match. But... It's okay for Callis to think that Takesh is a monster, but that's worked f- in every wrestling monster storyline ever. Like, what's the worst one at the moment? Dabakato is monstering Tyler Bate. How? By being a monster. Yeah. And no. that is crap. Like, what's it? Like, Sid could never in a million years cut a promo that Don Callis cut in this bad one on Dynamite in terms of his ability and his, like, his strange, unique way he articulated his message. But before he fought Hulk Hogan, when Hulk Hogan was like, I think I might retire, it was like, good, you should be frightened out of here because look at me. Yeah, That's how you tell that story. And yet they've found this awful way of doing it for a match that will 100% deliver on the night. People will love this thing Yeah, on Sunday. <laughs> what were people worried about? It's coming. It's coming. Like It is coming because I don't need six nights a year or seven or eight nights a year of this. I need like 45 out of 52. I'll let them have some bum weeks. The voice forty five. The voices weren't as loud after the old uh, trios match, were they? Nah, wasn't as much of the old uh, C. C. As I was expecting. Yeah, no, wrong. <laughs> um, two more things to go through. The penultimate segment sees the acclaimed come out. Oh yeah, to debut the new titles and to cut some ceremonial ribbon that allows them to open up the titles or whatever. It's just it's an excuse to get some prop scissors out for Daddy Ass to. Intimate that he's got a bigger dick than Max Caster mm-hmm. and bigger, and then debut the new titles, which have got the same center plate, I think, hot pink leather straps and scissor shapes to put them together and strap them up, which yeah. is very cute. Right. At the risk of sounding negative and unpopular and like, you know, 
literally objectively flat out wrong considering how over he is. Like people love Daddy Ass. They didn't look him that much in Wembley, to be fair. But they love Daddy Ass. I think he comes off as so aloof and not likable. And is that just me? I get it. Like he, he was saying, well, we have to hurry up. We don't have much time left. I don't know if that was the... Tony, you've bollocked up the sequencing of the show again. <laughs> I'm getting told I'm rushed off the air and I'm going to let you know, which is obvious he can't do. It's bad enough when Perry does something. He did it worse, but you know what I mean. But then he was like, this is general disposition. It's like he thinks he's above it or he's aloof. I don't get why people love him when he's got that attitude. Am I the only person who senses his attitude? I, he is working out there. Like, he's gone from, I cannot believe a look that, my luck that I get to hang around with these youngins. Like, and be over again. Crazy comparison, I know. But like the, the, the what Terry Funk would always do. Yeah. You know, uh, to be in, these ones are lucky to have me giving them the rubski. That's what he believes now he's out there to give them and continue to give them the rub. I like those belts, right? I think they look brilliant. But I had a take about 12 months ago. And I was wrong in this take, by the way. But I had it 12 months ago. And 12 months later... I'm right now. Like, I was wrong a year ago. I was getting increasingly concerned, and this was a WWF new generation problem. Like, characters sell tickets, gimmicks sell T-shirts, and there's a huge difference between those two things. You either... They were getting pop, they were getting quarter hours out the arse. They were, I was wrong last year. Yeah. I was 100% wrong. Um, they are not their characters. They are scissor fetishists and pink item enthusiasts, and this is Duke the Drumster Drossy is a bin man rather than a guy that has had a past as a bin man and wants to use his strength to win titles. We are there. Like, th- this is... Remember last year when they had... When, when they I was wrong the, last year. When they won the tag team titles. Yeah. And it was like, oh my God, you've basically got, like, some millennials... They have different sexualities to each other, different races, one of them's a boomer, and yet... Them coming together, it's like, oh, that's sweet. And in a weird, silly way, it's almost quite profound and just very nice. The scissor and gesture was to be representative of that, wasn't it? Look yeah. at how we're putting our hands and together. And Max Caster himself said, look, it's a political dumpster fire, blah, blah, blah. At least under this building, we, know, we can all come together and scissor. Yeah. They've been flanderized, the acclaimed. Yeah. Like the kind of the heart is missing, I think. I think so. But it's in the quest for more of this, isn't it? Like, more of the stuff that still works for people. And again, they did the, one of the best raps ever, so maybe that's all it needs to be. Maybe. At Wembley. Maybe. Um, main event time, it's Orange Cassidy defeating Penta El Zero Miedo. Um, this was the thing I thought was the best thing on the show because I was just sort of in awe at how good Orange Cassidy is. And obviously, Penta played his part. Mm-hmm. He's so good at being violent. Like the kicks to Cassidy's calf, and, like, Cassidy was howling. Like, he's so measured. Like, I don't think I've ever heard him howl in agony. But he does it now because he's at his most broken. Yeah. So he knows how to pace this, like, long-term sell job because the guy's probably a pro wrestling genius. So it's back and forth. They have this sort of um, Lucha-inspired arm drag battle, and they're trying to, like, sense where the person's going to attack from next. And then it's the long, brutal heat segment from Penta until, like, the after the second commercial break, it really sparks into life. I was talking about how... When you see 18th or 19th or 21st match, this is on the NXT review yesterday of the week, and you say, super kick, oh, I've got just enough in me to give you a super kick back, and then I'm, we're going to do the double down. I think, 
how can you watch 21 of those? Well, I watched the 22nd of those, and it was amazing. <laughs> they do this fighting spirit. I've got just enough in me to give you a Canadian destroyer after I've just taken one before collapsing. How did this get over as much, and how is it so good? I think it's because they paced it. I think because the selling was so good throughout. Even if the timing of the matchmaking was bad, I think the dynamic, particularly with Cassidy being so injured, was inspired, so I can forgive Tony Khan, I guess, and completely understand why he went with this match and why he did it at the time he did. Because when Penta hits the fear factor on the apron and then snaps Cassidy's arm, you think, they've done it. Yeah. They are going to change the title. And you think, well, Cassidy's done for, except he isn't because he kicks out the second fear factor and just... The one time stealing one is good. One of the few times stealing one is good because it's like, that's the only way I can beat this guy on this form. Crucifixes him, pins him. He then gets a chair, sits in the ring, and does a uncharacteristic, not deadpan, actual promo, which again, he never does. So when he does it, it means more than most. And he tells you he's gonna, he wants to beat John Moxley. So in the space of, I want to say, two minutes, he goes from done for in a TV title defense that was so predictable going in to, oh, he's going to be John Moxley, the most invincible force in all elite wrestling over the past four years. To go from that shift, I thought was incredible work from Orange Cassidy. This is one of the best nights he's ever had, and it really left me with a good feeling about the company and Dynamite because his individual brilliance was just so well, it's just so well articulated here. Yeah, I echo absolutely all of that. How, how did he go from that shift, man? Well, I think that happens sometimes. This was, this felt special. Wrestlers gain sparks. There's a history of it. Um, like, there's a history in wrestling of, like, a certain crisis occurs. It's often to do with the business or creative end of things. And, you know, you could argue that is the case in AEW at the moment, but there is a feeling or a vibe that a company is in crisis. And there are just wrestlers that forcibly in some cases, well, I'll take that then. I'll, I'll make this work. I'll go on and do it. Or like the stars align and something happens for a wrestler. The best version is when it's both, when the stars align and a wrestler takes it. So like Brett Hogan's on his arse and on his way. Brett's like, I'll take that. doesn't solve the industry, but Brett really tries and he wants to like reimagine WWE in his image. A few years later, Steve Austin has the same idea and the stars align and he goes off and everything explodes. Sting did it all the time when required in WCW, yeah. when that company would routinely show its arse and there'd be the stinger. Like... Ace stuff, this one. Ace stuff. This was like Tanashi in New Japan, the same. This, this felt mad. John Moxley did this in 2020 for AW in the pandemic. John Moxley was forced to do it again in 2021. Sorry, 2022, post-brawl out. And John Moxley kind of continues to be the guy that can be relied upon to do it even when you don't need him to. Yeah. And this felt like Orange Cassidy was asking to be handed that ball and run with it. He might, and I know he this is... He is, by all accounts, a bit of a locker room leader as well. You can see it. You could feel it here. Uh, I know it's not to everybody's taste, this type of booking, because WWE has dined out on it over the years. The man could lose upwards on Sunday, absolutely, by losing this international title. I've said it for a while because I've loved this reign so much. I think I'm in favour of title versus title. Him versus MJF. It's harder with MJF as a baby face. It would be that's gone now. It would have to be if Cassidy wins that world title, it'd have to be off a heel. Yeah. Like I think that's yeah, I think you're right. 
And certainly if that match had had stakes, MJF winning the international would have been cruel. Yeah. A very MJF thing to do. I haven't worked in eight months. See at the title match, yeah. that kind of thing. So maybe that one, that version of it is dead, perhaps. Uh, he's he's ready. He is, ready? He is abs- this is this is as uh, much like I guess what they're trying to do with Gunther. You know, I want to restore this title to the prestigious runs of your Bret Hart's and your Shawn Michaels because they won this belt and then they were ready for the world title. This is Orange Cassidy. He's had this international title in, run in three years' time. This international title, if this trend in AW continues. People will say when I don't know who could get it in three years, or maybe he can do what Orange Cassidy did with this. Yeah, he's going to be the benchmark. Yeah, he is the benchmark, and it's exciting, and you love getting to watch it and feel it. And it's been there the whole year. Yeah, absolutely, he's one of the wrestlers of the year. But there I are the magic was dying a little bit personally. I th- and then he's just done this. Well, I think that's the magic because there's a couple of times where you dare to think that, and then he proves you wrong. Yeah, and then it's like, well, at what point am I just going to let him? Am I just going to submit to it and realise that this is always going to be the pattern? When that belt is in the referee's hands, if it's the main event, and that crowd will be up for it, you cannot fathom what an unbelievable job Orange Cassidy has done. That was the all-Atlantic title that they didn't even do the big announcement on Dynamite. Here's the big announcement. It's a new title. It just looked, it just was there on the commentary desk, Tony Schiavone went, oh, I've got a new title. And everyone's like, oh, the trios. This is the All-Atlantic title. And everyone went, huh? <laughs> to go from that to this. Yeah. Even though it's still the weakest pay-per-view probably in AEW history in terms of the level of hype, that's still something monumental for Orange Cassidy to say, I did that. Uh, 100%. That's it's his. The ultimate adage of the man making the belt. You're showing yourself to be a guy that can do that at the next level up as well. One million wrestlers who criticize him could never do what he's done with that. No. Anyway, put me in a really great mood. Um, Orange Cassidy's amazing. Um, he was fantastic in the stadium stampede. And as much as the build has been a bit, why is it, why is a million stables involved, Tony? <laughs> He's still the man. Orange Cassidy is tremendous. The magic still exists somewhere in this company. But it's getting a little bit harder to find, in my opinion. Um, and what is your opinion? Let us know under the um, Twitter link to this podcast or the X link to this podcast at WhatCultureWWE. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflet at Michael Hamflet. You can follow me at um, Sidgwick. You can follow all of us at WhatCultureWWE. Coming up later today, or rather across the weekend, yeah, um, we've got some preview content for WWE Payback and um, AEW All Out. So stick around on your feeds um, for the, in the coming days for that. Until then, thank you very much for joining us. And we will see you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.